ESPN College Football Podcast. Hosted by Paul Feinbaum and Matt Barry. It is a weekly tradition unlike any other. It is the only way I would love to spend my Sunday morning with my guy Paul Feinbaum and the ESPN College Football Podcast. We dubbed uh, the final weekend of October Statement Saturday that revolved heavily around the Big Ten East. Paul, I would say coming out the morning after the picture is starting to clear up of who, what, where, and why. And I got to tell you, at least of half the games yesterday in the Big Ten, I'm surprised by the outcome of one of them. Yeah. I mean, this seemed like maybe the year that Jim Harbaugh was going to shed the choker uh, reputation. And instead, he just enhanced it. And, you know, Matt, I... So someone asked me earlier uh, about Harbaugh, and, and I, I'm, I'm struggling to find any energy to, to even critique him any longer because it, it is the same movie. I mean, we joke about that with, with Scott Frost and you know, losing one-possession games in Nebraska, which he does every week. But with Harbaugh, it's even, it's even more significant because he's playing in major games. I mean, that was the, the biggest tilt in the country and a win and suddenly all these showdowns occur, but he did the same thing he always does. You know, he, he does some inexplic- he has some inexplicable decision. Uh, the result is the same and, and yeah, he is very likely going to go down in history as the biggest choker in big games in college football uh, folklore. I mean, there, there's, I mean, there's, I mean, the charts back it up. This is not just some angry guy in the top, on the, off the, off the top rope. What did you think was that decision on Saturday? I think later was uh, changing quarterbacks, and yeah. Yeah. again, I, I, I mean, if it worked, he's 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 brilliant. That's Jim Harbaugh, uh, you know, you know, tied for the lead with Dan Mullen as the quarterback whisperer, but uh, it it just didn't work, and and as a result, he lost to a team he should have beaten. When they were up thirty to fourteen, I'm sitting there, Paul, with with my college football Saturday cohorts, and I'm looking at them. I'm like, guys. Like this, this is going to happen. Harbaugh, they're going to run in here. It's 30 to 14. This game's over. They've got the defense. They stopped Michigan State. Kenneth Walker, we'll get into him in a minute. But I, I thought, Paul, you know, you and I have been through this now for years with Jim Harbaugh since he's been at Michigan and just is breaking down college football. We do say the same thing about him every year. But I really believe that it was a tipping point to Michigan football and Jim Harbaugh's career there. And then you need Michigan State. And here's what I find remarkable about how Michigan State pulled this off yesterday. You're down 30 to 16. I went to Arizona State, but I can do enough math to know that that's 16-point deficit. So you're going to need two touchdowns and two-point conversions. Some of the fourth down calls that Michigan State had yesterday to convert on fourth down, keep the drive going, get the touchdown, and then, Paul, we've seen this all year. Two-point conversion ball plays haven't been the best all year. They had to convert twice to just tie the game. I thought it was remarkable how Michigan State at home looked like they were going to get blown out, and they came back, did one of the hardest things they had to do, score, two-point conversion, get the win. I think it's an incredible story. Yeah, we'll get back on the field in a minute with Walker, but you know, let, let me talk about Mel Tucker for a second because two or three yeah. weeks ago, a lot of people were like, what are you talking about when his name came up for the LSU job? Well, he was on full display yesterday, and – uh, you know, Mel Tucker's agent uh, has to, uh, who, who is Jimmy Sexton, uh, just has to be beaming this morning. Not that he wasn't already beaming, uh, because his stock just went through the roof. 
And and now the the you know the, the, the relatively new AD at Michigan State's thinking I've got to figure out a way to keep him. Uh, this isn't just some outlier story. But uh, yeah, it, it was really remarkable to watch. It was fun to watch. And yeah, again, I I don't want to go too hard on Harbaugh because as bad as that was, he still has a chance to right the wrongs, and it's really all about the end of the season. If he, if he somehow beats Ohio State on that final Saturday, what happened in, in East Lansing will not matter as much. Your your Mel Tucker point is interesting, and I kind of want to dive into that. I all right, How do I tread lightly with this one without being hot take machine? Because we don't like doing we, we don't we, we don't like doing that, Paul. I don't, I don't need to be a hot take machine diet here. So what Mel Tucker is doing is incredible. He's had to build the program with some transfers, which is fine. Everyone does that. They've completely flipped from the style of team they were forever under Mark D'Antonio. Michigan State's actually exciting. Remember when Mark D'Antonio was there? Those games were 13 to 10 and 17, 14, and they're an exciting team. Here's where I would caution Michigan State and, and, and how they go about it. I know the LSU vacancy, all of that. With coaches, and there's another layer to this, but with coaches, we seem to find, Paul, they will have one year of hope. They'll come out, and everything will fall into place, and they will have one brilliant year. And then the AD and the administration way overreacts to protect the asset. They give them a new extension. They give them a huge buyout. And then inevitably what happens? And I'm not saying this is going to happen with Mel Tucker, but inevitably what happens? Three years down the road, they're saddled with a buyout that cripples the program. And now they got to buy a coach out who turns out had 1.2 good years of football. And then you're stuck. And that's the problem, I think. And we're seeing it right now. I hope Mel Tucker succeeds. I really do. But Jimmy Sexton apparently runs college football. He's the most powerful guy in college football. And I just don't know that the wise move for Michigan State would be to do something like that, not because it's Mel Tucker, but because you don't know how this is going to play out in three or four years. All you know is the now. Here, here's the only counter to that, Matt, and it's fair. Uh, I mean, I've watched Will Muschamp get a contract extension at South Carolina. when Nobody wanted the guy. I saw Jeremy Pruitt get one at – Tennessee, nobody wanted him. And I saw Ed O get one at LSU. Same same thing. Mel Tucker is different only in that there is a market for him. And at least the AD can say, I, I had to do it. Um, most of the time, these ADs only do it because Jimmy Sexton calls them and says, listen, uh, what about an extension? Uh, so uh, I mean, there has to be some reason uh, to, to go. And, and again, the, the, the LSU situation... It, it, for those who are trying uh, to hire uh, Mel down there, they at least have an afternoon to say, hey, look, did you see that? Uh, so I think it makes them a hotter commodity. It doesn't, uh, but your, your, your basic fundamental point is correct, though. So the market for him, and, I, and here's the other thing before we move on to the field, because I do want to give Kenneth Walker the, the attention that he deserves. When you're Mel Tucker and Coaches have this reputation, Paul. We've been around them enough. We've covered the sport long enough. They come off sometimes as not having loyalty. 
loyalty to the program, loyalty to their message, loyalty to who they said they were going to be. When if you stick with me, I'm going to put you in the right position. I get it. I'm not sitting here saying that LSU is not a better job than Michigan State. But what I'll tell you is Mel Tucker would be a decision away from putting a little bit of a dent in his credibility if he's at Colorado for the year, he's at Michigan State for the two, and then hops to LSU. And once you get down that path, you can't come back from that. And I just hope that he sees what he's got going there in East Lansing and might resist the temptation of Southern weather and Cajun food. Yeah, and, and I will say this. Winning that game yesterday could change the dynamics, too. Uh, you know, he, he, he didn't experience that last year because it was a terrible year and it was COVID. But he saw it, he saw it yesterday. And, and, again, I'm not enough of a Michigan State Spartan expert to know, you know <laughs> <laughs> what turns people on up there. All I know is that uh, uh, they, they've had some really good coaches. If you go back 50 or 60 years, they had Saban a couple of years ago. Uh, D'Antonio was really good until he was really bad at the very end. But for the most part, he was a very consistent coach. And, and Tom Izzo has had one of the great basketball careers in history at that school. So I'm, all I'm saying is it can been, be done. And I think there's maybe a, a, a little more likelihood after yesterday that he looked around and said, you know what, I like where I am. Uh, I even like the weather here. And I really like the fact that Jim Harbaugh is down the road. Yeah, and he's a Cleveland guy, I think. So he's got a connection to that area, and that area of the country suits him from where he was from. So Michigan State, story of the day, Kenneth Walker. And, you know, you know, I'll come on to your show every once in a while on Thursdays or Fridays, and, and we'll talk SEC, and I'll wade into those waters of Alabama, and all these people freak out when I say that LSU has an opportunity to hire now without – well, what, like, first of all, whoever your social media person is, is brilliant because they always take the part of the quote that's the juiciest without giving oh, yeah. any context. Oh, yeah. So oh, I yeah. found that fascinating. <laughs> I loved watching it, by the way, in real time. Yeah, because because people are just absolutely. You, just made a, you, you made a substantive comment. I understood it very well since I asked the question. And the next thing you know, I'm watching Twitter. And I would have, you. It, it was like you had just, uh, uh, you're, you're a Republican congressman from Illinois, and you, just, and you just called on Donald Trump to do something. I mean, all of a sudden, right. they came out of nowhere after you. So we'll get to the quote in a minute, but I was getting down this path with, I'm probably going to offend Alabama people again about this next thing I'm going to say, who were completely just coming at me last week, and I, whatever. But I, putting Alabama quarterbacks in the Heisman Trophy favorite seat is getting boring. Bryce Young is a hell of a football player. He's, he's, he's really, really good. But having an Alabama guy out there is getting boring, which is my pathway to this. Can we put Kenneth Walker at the top of the list at the Heisman Trophy? Can we just do that? He's a great story. He's a transfer from Wake Forest. He came out from anonymity to be the star player yesterday, maybe the star player this season. Give Kenneth Walker the national love he deserves. It's too lazy to put an Alabama quarterback up there. Yeah, and uh, and, and by the way, Matt Corral just liked that tweet because uh, he he is he he just was obliterated at a clear at the, the clear blue sky yesterday as a favorite in the Heisman race. But yeah. I, I think I think so. Yeah, listen, uh, it having covered Alabama football for 
30 some odd years, it has been a law. They've had very few Heisman candidates at, at, at the quarterback position. In fact, uh, that, you know, they had uh, Jay Barker in the 90s, who really was not a legitimate candidate. I mean, I think he came in fifth. And then, and then A.J. McCarron made a run, not a serious run, against Johnny Manziel. So what's happened lately has been pretty remarkable with Jalen Hurts and Tua and, uh, you know, Mac Jones and, and now Bryce Young. So I understand your, 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 ang- your angst, but uh, I, uh, I will agree with you. This week in the Heisman, all the Heisman polls, uh, Kenneth Walker is at the third. Or am I getting that right? Uh, I the- haven't checked the, the market lately. <laughs> because because uh, I, I called Stetson Bennett the third a few weeks ago in Athens. They said he's the fourth. I said I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I gotta I gotta check the the cryptocurrency market of the Heisman <laughs> Trophy uh, race right now. But I'm sure if this was your producer on your radio show, that would have been the the quote from that is picking Alabama quarterbacks is boring. And then all oh, oh, I, 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 I just tweeted it. Don't worry about it. Good. Thank you. Now, now all of Tuscaloosa is after me. Uh, the other game in the big 10, Ohio state. And by the way, you, you, you also said uh, Nick Saban is old because uh, oh. Halloween's his 70th birthday. Yeah. So real quick, before we move on to Ohio state, Penn state, he does turn 70. We're taping this on Halloween morning. Uh, Nick Saban, happy birthday, 70 years old. It's some, I mean, Maybe he won't. Maybe he's going to be there till he's 100, as we discussed the other day on your show. But 70 years old, seven national championships. I would guess that if his career was a golf course, he's making the turn on the back nine. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No. Uh, what are you talking about, Matt? Uh, I'm a fine bomb caller now. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, he's got a good 20, 30, I don't know, maybe 50 years left in him. Yeah. Who's that Matt fellow with the big hair? He doesn't know. That, that that's pretty, our happy that, birthday. To- uh, that pretty boy up in uh, Connecticut. Yeah, what does he know up there, that Northeast elite? Um, that's our happy birthday to uh, Nick Saban. They had the week off, so that'll be our Alabama conversation portion of the program. Ohio State coming out of the bye week. Uh, it wasn't a beauty contest. They're not going to put that Picasso up in the Louvre, but they get the win over Penn State, which at this point, at this stage of the season, anything can happen. 33-24, the final. So is week in and week out with the schedule playing itself out. Ohio State still, Paul. I mean, they they they're a completely different team than they were when they played Oregon. And I would not be stunned on Tuesday night to see them inside the top four of the playoff rankings. They could be. And suddenly, uh, now the new game of the year in college football is Ohio State and Michigan State in three weeks. Uh, that that was not originally, uh, you know. Red letter, but I, I think you're right. I mean, the real the real issue now is, uh, you know, how do how do you measure Ohio State and Cincinnati? Uh, because you know, one one has a loss, one has a resume that uh, would not get you a job anywhere. So it's I, I don't I, I'll say I'll quote you from last week. This is a television show Tuesday night, and it really doesn't mean much more than that. Other than I think, where does Cincinnati begin? Because they they really don't have much left, and one of their big games remaining was hurt this week uh, yep. Saturday. So uh, and, and you know at least at least Notre Dame is doing its part, and I know we're getting deep into the weeds. So I I don't I, I have a feeling the committee will play chalk here. I don't know why because uh, I don't I, I never trust thirteen people in a room in Grapevine, Texas. <laughs> uh, but I I think they'll play the political game with with Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, 13 people in a room of grapevine in Texas present day isn't good. You take that thing back about 50 years, you're really de- dealing with some issues. 
Yeah, I am. So it's it, it's a good it, it, it's it's kind of a good bridge to this, and, and we'll be like everyone else who who puts out our, our rankings uh, because this is the ESPN College Football Podcast, and we may as well just just keep making everyone angry. Um, I'll say this for Cincinnati, and I think Luke Fickle could have his pick of jobs. In fact, I even hesitate to put this out in the ether sphere, if that's a thing or ethic, whatever. Ether. Ether, thank you. If James Franklin were to somehow pull off the USC job or one of those jobs and Penn State came open, I could see Luke Fickle heading to Penn State. I mean, he's just he's that kind of he's that kind of coach. I think the coaching carousel is going to lend us to some interesting openings with some interesting names. But with Cincinnati, he said this yesterday after the game against Tulane. Paul, I've called two Tulane games this year. And Willie Fritz in that program has just had bad luck. They were displaced for a month because of the hurricane. They had a ton of injuries. Yesterday, their quarterback, their young quarterback, who they like, Michael Pratt, didn't even play. There was no reason Cincinnati should not have been up 35-0 at the half. Now, Tulane played hard, but even Tulane playing hard, if you're one of the top four teams in the country, you have no business keeping that game close. And I know Fickle said it after the game, and I get it. And even Galloway says it about Fickle. He doesn't care about that kind of thing. And he, he Galloway, seriously, is like, Matt, he doesn't. He just goes out there. They play the football game. Final score is what it is, and they move on. But at some point, because I don't think they're going to be in the top six. I really don't think the committee's going to put the – I think they're going to be in the meaning six, not the top four. But the committee looks at things like that. And, and Cincinnati better start looking at the scoreboard and caring about how they're winning – because yesterday's game, again, second week in a row, they did it to Navy the week before, 27-20. 31-12 against a bad, bad Tulane team just isn't going to get it done. No, I agree with you. And sometimes I overthink my overthinking the committee, but they know what's ahead. And, and they also know that the Notre Dame game was only five or six weeks ago. So I think Cincinnati gets devalued by the week. And it's just a matter of how they're punished on, the, on this particular night. I mean, I, when I, what makes me nervous, though, Matt, is you stick a bunch of administrators in a room and they'll do the politically correct thing. Uh, so, because they, they know they can undo it later as Ohio State wins bigger games, yeah. meaning yeah. Michigan, Michigan State and, and Michigan in a Big Ten championship game, which has suddenly been devalued, by the way. But that's for, that's for a couple of weeks down the road. So that, that's, that's why I'm... I'm not in total agreement there. Uh, I mean, I, I, I struggle myself. Uh, one week I have Cincinnati out of my top four. And they, I mean, because I don't think they're going to end up there, but uh, I guess I'm just babysitting them right now to be nice. That's actually a good point with the committee because I'll say it on the ESPN College Football Podcast. I said it on your show. The week one rankings, they, it's, a, it's a television show. It's reality TV. It's Reese hosting it. Herbie's up there. Galloway, Pollock, and all the boys are up there, and they're talking about, well, the committee saw this, the committee saw that. Gary Bardo will be up there doing his interview with Reese, and they'll tell you a couple of things. And all it does is it puts a a numbers clip up on a board for the first college football player rankings that we can discuss now for the next two to three weeks. That's all it is. It's television entertainment. So to your point, the committee could get away with it and say, hey, you know, right now Cincinnati's body of work, the win at Indiana, at Notre Dame, who's still a one-loss team. That's their only loss. We feel right now that their resume to this point makes them one of the top four teams they come in at four. I could totally see that happening. 
But if they're watching games, you can't tell me that Cincinnati's better than Georgia, Alabama, no. Oklahoma, Ohio State. But Matt, you you hear it every week, year or two, so I'm not going to quote them. But I I just know the mentality of these people, and you know they know they got they have uh, five more of these uh, reveals, so. You know they'll they'll you know pay some pay some bills by saying and they'll give the the the, uh, the American hey we were in the top four on the very first week and then the schedule caught up to us but the the only the thing I'm most happy about this week I don't have to take any more calls from people that say how come nobody's respecting and last week the calls were how come nobody's respecting Kentucky why aren't they ranked higher. Well, they, they lost over the weekend. We don't have to take those calls anymore. But the good news is it's on the committee now. Let them figure it out. Yeah, how about Kentucky? One of the great early stories. They now have two losses. They'll go back. Uh, still be a, a great story and find themselves on a nice bowl game. But they, they got absolutely blown out by Will Rogers in Mississippi State. Will Rogers, by the way, set the record for SEC completion percentage. He was absolutely firing in Mike Leach's offense. But the SEC has given us how many good stories this year that have just kind of gone away. Arkansas was the same thing. Oh, hottest team in the country. So it, it, it Ole Miss, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Kentucky, and and then there's some subplots too. Tennessee is getting a lot of love, and and the one story that nobody has talked about, uh, and you better start paying attention to them, is Auburn. Yes, it, 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 it was moving my way to Auburn after we got through Ole Miss because they played last night, Auburn and Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin was the man of analytics. Oh, uh, Lane, give it up. He, he can't keep going for it that many times on fourth down. I know what the book says, but it just it put them in a bad position. I, I, I admire part of it, be aggressive and just try to change the course of the game. But your quarterback was hurt. You don't have any receivers right now. But Auburn, you're right. Start paying attention to Brian Harson and Auburn. You look at their record, they have two losses. Quick reminder, one of the losses was at a conference on the road at Penn State. And so I said it on college football final, as Joey tends to uh, be a, a, a beacon of, of optimism at the end of the night, I said, could you imagine – if Auburn keeps winning, Alabama does its job, and the Iron Bowl, unthinkable to anyone at the beginning of the season, comes down for a spot in the SEC championship to play Georgia. Yeah, what's interesting about Auburn is, you know, they fire Gus Malzahn. They lose a bunch of players. Nobody believes in Bo Nix, the quarterback. They're a, they're projected to be 7-5, and five, Matt. Uh, yeah. Simple as that. And – they, they, they have just continued to win big games. They're at A&M this week, suddenly a team that has been brought back from the dead after the, uh, the win over Alabama. And this is a really big game because if Auburn wins this game, uh, they have a, a really interesting path after that. After that, Auburn will play Mississippi State at home, South Carolina on the road, those are very those those are very winnable games, and of course before the Iron Bowl, which uh, suddenly has meaning. And I'm, I, I will remind the audience who don't live in Iron Bowl lore like uh, yours truly that Auburn has won 13, 17, and 19, three of the last yep. four. And and you know that's with a, a coach Gus Malzahn who who he had he could beat Nick Saban. He's one of the rare coaches in the country that say that he could get it done. Brian Harson. Hasn't had a taste of an entire SEC schedule, much less 
a taste Cause, of Because I heard your guy on, on College Football Final. Uh, I watched the 6 a.m. version, Matt. Well, thank I, watched, you for your uh, I, I watched the non-Joey participants say, and when you mentioned the Iron Bowl, oh, Alabama always wins that game. Uh, no, they don't. They don't. And Auburn's done just enough. They lost so many players from last year, including their entire receiving core. Seth Williams, he was a stud. Like, Auburn had no business in year one of Brian Harson being in contention. Now, look, we might replay this podcast three weeks from now and laugh at the fact that we thought Auburn was going to be a legit contender in the SEC West, but they haven't done anything to change my mind yet. The game against Texas A&M this week, you're right. That's it. You get by A&M, and that'll be the real test for Auburn because how many times did we see it in Gus Malzahn's career? They would win a game they shouldn't and then lose a game they shouldn't. And I don't no, know, we'll, it, see if that, we'll see if that's different under Brian Harson. And, you know, he's, he's a coach that's come under a lot of fire. Uh, it came out last week that uh, you know, he would not discuss the vaccine. And, you know, there's a new mandate that, you know, the, the Rolovich situation uh, in Washington State seems like it, it was going on in Auburn. Uh, I, I'm not getting into, into COVID here, but if he keeps winning, he will not get fired for the vaccine. I, I lived in Alabama 30-some-odd years, Matt. You can count on that. <laughs> well, good win for them, 31-20. Uh, to 20. Uh, I would imagine that hasn't been announced yet. As it's a, just after 11 a.m. here on Sunday morning, but I, I'd be stunned if CBS doesn't grab that one. And then uh, Alabama LSU, uh, it would. I would again. I'm not in the programming yeah, yeah, department. Yeah, yeah, no. They, I, I pre- I'm pretty sure they will, and uh, I, I can also tell you that uh, we will be uh, there live as well. Not that anybody cares. You'll be at uh, College Station. Yes. SEC Nation, driving the bus out to College Station. I like it. All right, so that'll be a big one next week. The, 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 other, then, the other show is going to uh, one of the teams we've mentioned here earlier, but I'll, I'll let them announce that. I would love to get into your Rolodex, how you know these decisions. So, <laughs> on a Sunday morning. You have to leave Herb Street alone. Like, let him sleep. No, I don't bother Herb uh, Street. <laughs> so, SEC's been handled. Oh, quickly, before we move on, I get Georgia people that come at me every oh, yeah. single week because we don't give Georgia enough attention on the ESPN College Football Podcast. Let's and talk. I replied to this, this gentleman uh, a couple of weeks ago. I said, well, like, what do you want me to say at this point? They're absolutely dominant. They've let up under 14 points in eight consecutive games. They've given up 46 points all year. I mean, they're the best team in the country, and it's not even close. But on the other side of the rivalry yesterday in Jacksonville, also oh. where SEC was, that, that's Florida. And they're 4-4. Four and four, And Dan Mullen – and they, they scored at the end, like the, the seven points is fine. It, it, it gets rid of the shutout, but it was 34, nothing. It was, yeah, it was a bad game for Florida. Yeah. The only good, the, the, if there is good news for Dan Mullen and there really isn't, uh, he got, he got shamed into starting uh, AR 15 because that's what the fans wanted. And he did it. And that worked out brilliantly. Uh, Florida, the rest of the way is at South Carolina, Samford, at Missouri and Florida State. I will tell you what, those are all very winnable games. Should he lose one of those games, be, just beware. It's already nasty and negative in relation to Dan Mullen. And I, I'm going to spare you. I'm sure Dan Mullen is in good shape uh, because I've, I, think, I think I said that a week ago. You know, he's the best play caller in America. But the fans, what, the ones I talked to yesterday uh, or over the weekend in Jacksonville, they are. Their anger is growing toward him. Why? They don't think he can recruit. 
uh, on an elite level, which is very important when you have Kirby Smart, who is, I think, the best recruiter in the country. Uh, and that includes Nick Saban. Kirby yeah. Smart never stops recruiting. I was talking to one of his top people Saturday morning in Jacksonville, and I was, I, I, we were just joking about Kirby because uh, he came over to the set, which is unusual for a coach on, a, on the day of a big game like that, unless it's game day. Uh, and and it, he just he is always out recruiting. He never stops. He's just one of these compulsive recruiters, and he's very good at it. And Dan Mullen is kind of – Half does it haphazardly. Uh, he he and, and it has hurt him. Uh, I mean, he's got some you know great players there. Uh, he's he, de- he he developed players. Look look at what happened with Kyle Trask. But that that is the big argument against him. Uh, there's a lack. Uh, there's there is great dis, uh, there is great disgust uh, directed toward Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator, who came over with Dan Mullen from Mississippi State. So I think there'll be a lot of changes at the end of the season. Dan Mullen will survive, but the question is for how long. When you say that, I'm just looking at some recruiting rankings over the past couple of years because recruiting in the SEC, football in in the Southeastern Conference is a year-round thing. It's the regular season, it's recruiting season, it's spring ball, and it's the season again. And if you can't recruit, which is what they follow all of the time, then you're going to have a problem pleasing your fan base. I'm looking at the 2021 team rankings and recruiting. Alabama one, LSU four, Georgia five, Texas A&M six, Florida comes in at 11th. 11th by any other standard is really, really good. Count how many teams are ahead of them in the SEC. One, two, three, four. That's the problem. You cannot, uh, you, th- we are talking in a, 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 the University of Florida, which thinks they invented college football when, you, when you're talking to a Gator. Uh, and, and they've really had, uh, they've had two good coaches, Spurrier and Urban. Other than that, they've all been flops. And Dan Mullen was supposed to be a, a, a hybrid of Spurrier and, and, and Urban because he worked down there for Urban. And it just, it hasn't, you know, his resume isn't bad, Matt, but but no. back to your but eleventh in recruiting, and if you're if you're fifth in the SEC in recruiting, you failed. Well, and I don't mean to pile on on a Sunday morning. I am now at the 2022 class rankings, which will be the class that closes next spring. Georgia one, Alabama two, LSU eleven, A and M thirteen, Arkansas seven or Missouri sixteen, Arkansas seventeen. Kentucky 19, South Carolina 22, Mississippi State 26, Ole Miss 28, Tennessee 31, and then you've got Florida at 35. That's a problem. Now, he could close. He could close come signing day in February, the early signing period. But, yeah, Paul. It's highly unlikely, though. I just – here – now we're going to dive into the coaching thing, and I didn't want to. Okay. Because I'm dealing, I'm dealing with this at Arizona State. Arizona State had an inexcusable loss on Saturday. Absolutely inexcusable. 16-point favorites coming in. They came off the bye week after what happened to Utah when they were up 21-7. Could have pretty much parked the bus in the Pac-12 championship game. And then they go and absolutely get embarrassed at home against Washington State who just fired their entire coaching staff the week before. They could beat 34-21. 
They turn it over five times in their first five possessions. They had five turnovers, turned it over three times in their first three possessions. They were down 28-0 before you could even blink an eye to Washington State. And the reason I'm talking about Arizona State here on the ESPN College Football Podcast is because now I've had more people come at me about fire Herm, fire Herm, fire Herm. Okay, fine. Fire Herm. Who do you want? Who, who's it, who do you want? You're going to go bring me a, a, a coach from Nevada or Utah State? Okay, Florida, fire Dan Mullen. Who do you want? Who's out there? Who's better for your program right now if you just want to get rid of the guy that you've got and start all over again? Matt, those are all, those are all fair points, and, and I'm not suggesting he should be fired. All I'm trying to do is represent the mood of the of the Gator Nation right now. And, and by the way, you know, he could finish the season with five straight wins, and that would be reverse, almost reverse of last year when he bombed at the end. And, and fans will feel better about themselves. But in the big games this year, uh, you know, yesterday, you know, the, the, the Georgia game was an embarrassment. The game that really sticks in the craw is, is losing to LSU. That's uh, the big one. And that's two years in a row, and, and that, that's hard to get over. You know, the Kentucky game, they, they did it to themselves. All the Florida games this year, they've, they've somewhat self-destructed. This game, they just got mauled. And, you know, it, it, and as you saw, it was, it was all in about a three-minute period when it just – a close game disintegrated before our eyes. Right at the half, you had the pick six. It's like, all right, if you had any chance or any opportunity of making that game close, then it's not going to happen with a pick six. Uh, against Georgia and Florida. Yeah, the, the, the coaching thing for me is just, I, I don't know. I, th- there's more to it than get rid of the guy and hire a new guy. The, the setback that it takes for your program, and this is just big picture now. I said something a, a month or so ago, a few weeks ago, that I believe five years, you're going to know who you have in five years. Some people want to pull the trigger after four, but I think five years, one, unless it's a like. There are some programs out there where there are some bad fits and there's some bad stuff going on. But I think, Paul, five years is the perfect amount to really be able to look your fan base in the eye, look your coach in the eye, look your administration in the eye and say, you know what, this just didn't work. Matt, here's the problem. Number one, the coaches are all making between five and $10 million a year. And I, I bring that up because the average Joe out there uh, looks at that and just has no tolerance for somebody making that much money not being successful. And second, and maybe maybe it's even more important than the first, it's social media. Social media, it's one thing, you, know, you, you can say, well, some guy on Twitter doesn't matter. But now all of a sudden, some guy on Twitter does matter because you have all these websites that aggregate random tweets after a game, and then you see on you know, fairly big websites, fans roast Dan Mullen after loss. And, and guys like us are just going, you know, ripping through Twitter left and right, looking for interesting stories. You, you come to that article and you go, oh, my goodness, it's a meltdown. And then you find out these are just guys living in their, their grandmother's basement uh, out in the middle of, uh, of, of nowhere in, 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 the, uh, in the swamp. Uh, but, those, but now everybody has a voice. And I know it used to be the criticism of shows like mine, but at least – those people use a name, whether it's real or not, and you hear their voice on Twitter, you have no idea where it's coming from. Yeah, it's, it's the voiceless uh, opinion of those that just want to change everything overnight. And it's just, I just think it takes time. And we're seeing a college football 
landscape now that is ever evolving. You've got conference realignment, you've got NIL, you have the transfer portal, you have everything going on that coaches haven't had to deal with before that they need to make an adjustment to this new world of free agency and this new world of how to manage a team. Paul, it's completely different than it was. I don't even want to say five years ago. It's different than it was two years ago. It, it is. Uh, and Matt, I think, I think it, it, it takes people like you uh, and others who are in responsible positions to at least throw some caution out there. And I, I agree. I'm, uh, I'm the one who brought this up, but I, I hear it every day and I, I, I watch fan bases uh, in a, in a minute to minute basis and, and you can tell which way they're going. And once they go over a certain point, it's hard to get them back. And, and in, 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 in Mullen's case, I happen to think he's a very good coach. You know, his reaction to this uh, has, has not been very good. I think he handled this loss better because it, I think sometimes it's easier just to handle a 27-point loss better than one that, that, you, that, you, that you self-destruct like they did against Kentucky, which he refused to admit he was outcoached by Mark Stoops, and then the loss to uh, Ed Ogeron. But, but ultimately, uh, the athletic directors are also watching the same things we're watching, and they're reacting and overreacting, like you mentioned earlier in the, in, the, in the cast, about giving people extensions that don't deserve them. You know who I honestly believe has has done the complete opposite, which is buy themselves more time, and I, and I think that he should have been able to buy himself more time? Manny Diaz at Miami. They got the win against Pitt, 38-34. Uh, that's now – they beat NC State, 31-30. They beat Pittsburgh yesterday, 38-34. They narrowly lost to both Virginia, 30-28, to 28, I called that game, and narrowly lost to North Carolina, 45-42. Paul, as someone who just by assignment has been uh, within the Miami football program from spring ball, I called their spring game, and I called a game with them this year, I can tell you there's a ton of talent there, and there's also a ton of bad luck injuries. And on the surface, Miami would have been a destination and a, and a coach like Manny Diaz who has struggled to point out and say, hey, look, that's the you. They can't get it done. But if you really peel back and do some homework and see that there is talent and the recruiting's going well, they've had some horrible injuries and they've been competitive with a makeshift roster with a quarterback to Tyler Van Dyke had a great game. He's a perfect example that if you just let that thing cook one more year with how the recruiting's going and they put together a healthy season, I mean, I get it. The ACC is not great this year. We saw Pitt go down to that Miami team. Wake Forest is still undefeated. NC State's still hanging out. But for the most part, Paul, this, I mean, Clemson had one of the craziest backdoor cover bands I've ever seen in gambling history. It, it, the ACC is, is takeable. It's just that Miami is one of those teams that had expectations, just couldn't get it going. And and out of all the years you should give a coach a pass, I think Diaz gets one at Miami. And you look at the ACC as a whole and say, I mean, would Wake Forest deserve and command respect of playoff attention? I, th I think that's a really good point. Uh, and what happens, Matt, and I'll go back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. You know, it was, it was either two weeks ago or whenever uh, Miami last lost. And the second you see something like that, you'll, you'll see someone – that you you recognize on social media go well that's it for Manny Diaz and by the way if you're not paying close attention and and you and you're the wrong guy to talk to because you are paying close attention but a lot of people just kind of come and go on programs like that you go mm, I guess Manny Diaz is about to get fired so you, you it's it's a mindset that begins uh, with, with a loss so I, I think you're right about him 
Uh, I, yeah, it's same thing with Justin Fuente. You know, he, he's he's living week to week at Virginia Tech. So, uh, you know, wins wins, especially important wins, will calm the waters, and that's what you have to have. Okay, that's our ACC discussion for the day. I thought it was comprehensive, and I thought it was good. Uh, Pac-12, Oregon, thoughts. Well, I, I think they're, they're just continuing to, to live, uh, and they're not going to get a lot of attention the rest of the way. Uh, but they still have that win over, over Ohio State, and I think that, that is, that's all they can hold on to right now. And I, I think back to Tuesday night in the committee, where do you think they end up? And, and I think ultimately that that's, uh, you know, because, I, you know, what, is this committee going to play games with, with the – are they going to talk about – the, uh, the the Ohio State game. I mean, they have a loss, and it was a narrow loss at Stanford. Uh, and the win, obviously, at Ohio State trumps all that. Uh, you know, they've had injuries, but they have also looked so shaky, Matt. It's hard for me to believe in this team. Yeah, Stanford just lost to a bad Washington team last night, so that kind of that loss continues to hurt. But there are a lot of our brethren in this business that – they, boy, they will live and die on the head-to-head hill, and they'll tell you head-to-head Oregon beat Ohio State, and I get that, but I also die on the watch football lately hill, and Ohio State is, is, is better than Oregon as we sit here today. As we wrap up our conference whip around, I want to park it in the Big 12 finally. Caleb Williams, I mean, I've said it, and I'll say it again. His trajectory puts him squarely in a seat in Manhattan at the end of the year because this kid is absolutely electric. They washed off the stank from the Kansas nightmare a week ago. Six touchdowns, career high, 400-plus yards, career high. Oklahoma is good. I mean, that's a really good football team. Uh, it's remarkable to think that losing the Heisman favorite would make you better. I mean, you just, you just can't make <laughs> stuff like that up. But, but that's where they are. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I think they're a team that I feel better about. Uh, early on, you kept looking and saying they, they're going to slip up somewhere, and they still could. But uh, they have survived a lot of big games. So I, I, I think uh, right now I like, I like their chances of getting through. And I know that this broke your heart, but Iowa State, I think, is officially done. Yeah, good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think the whole state of Iowa is done. So let's. let's uh, oh, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not even you, getting into what I saw with Iowa and Wisconsin. If you got a broom, I'm, I'm sweeping them out with yesterday's Not trash. getting into Iowa, Wisconsin, and Iowa. I'm just not going to do it. And Baylor, let's give them a little respect. Dave Aranda's battle. Oh, back. man. Baylor's a good football team. Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. That's how that Big 12 round robin is going to work out for the final month of the season. I can't believe it's already the end of October as we embark on November. Right. The headline. Uh, we're going to bring this to the podcast each and every week. Uh, I'm stealing it from my time on Sports Center with Paul on Saturday mornings, and it, it's going to be a staple week in and week out. We are going to write the headline for next week. Yeah, I mentioned the AM game uh, with Auburn, but I'm looking at one other game that, that's catching my eye, and I, and I think and I'm not predicting an upset, but it, it's. It may be the last chance for Scott Frost to uh, stamp a signature win uh, on, on his career. And I don't know where, what his status is, but with the Buckeyes coming in there, uh, that, that is a, I just find that to be a very intriguing game, Matt. And I, I think Ohio State wins, but uh, I, I'm not like absolutely, uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet your house on it. So the headline is 
be be a good headline writer, Paul. Give me give me something good. Give me that 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 headline that I'm going to stop on Twitter and read. I am going to put the headline Sunday morning, which that's what I used to have to do on Saturday. Is you know, yeah. Buckeyes survive frosty night in Lincoln. And and, and I, we've seen weirder things this year, and, and Ohio State's capable of doing it. I like that when I again I'm going to go off the radar for Alabama, Texas A&M because we know that's going to be the big game. I'm going to go to Ames with Texas and Iowa State. Texas has now blown leads late in the game three consecutive weeks. And Iowa State, preseason trendy team, they were the one everyone thought could represent the Big 12. But Sark needs one. Oh. He needs one to let people know that he was the right hire and this thing is headed in the right direction. My headline for this week, Sark attack. And I think Texas is going to go to Iowa State and give the people of Austin hope that they, in fact, got Steve Sarkeesian, who's the right head coach. And if they don't, I look for – this is just off the radar here. I look for Texas to get in the SEC a lot sooner because I think the guys at Texas are going to go, we can't, we can't do this for three more years being humiliated in the Big 12. <laughs> yeah, at least if we're going to do this, we'll do it in the SEC. We'll uh, pay $150 million or $300 million. We don't care. We've got oil money. Our bank account's unlimited. Hey, Paul, always appreciate it. Fun week. Um, November is around the corner. I'm going to give people a bonus headline. This is going to get real, real fun. As we embark on November, the month you remember in college football, is there one thing? Is there one player? Is there one team you are now looking for in the final month of the regular season? Yeah, I'm <laughs> – that's really interesting. I'm um... – I, I, I continue to be intrigued by Oklahoma. Uh, we mentioned them a minute ago. Uh, I'm intrigued by, by, by Caleb Williams because I, I think that's a team we wrote off a couple of times this year, Matt. And uh, I think they're going to be around at the end uh, and they're going to make the playoffs. I, I, I love the Oklahoma pick. I was going to kind of go the same way in that they're, they're not typically undefeated this time of year. And they have found something. And typically that team that lives dangerously, watch out for Oklahoma. All the usual suspects are going to be there. But this kid leading them right now, he's got that I don't care attitude. And that's different than a guy playing up tight. So I'm with you. I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma, <laughs> correct me if you, stop me if you've heard this before. People are going to be arguing about Oklahoma and Ohio State in the playoff for the last month. That's just where we are. And that's what it's going to be. Ohio State's always on that, on that cut line, aren't they? Yeah, let's, let's have fun with that the last month. As always, we appreciate the listen and download wherever you get your podcast. For Paul Feinbaum, I'm Matt Barry. It is the final podcast of October here in the ESPN College Football Podcast. Bald Men on Campus, a new ESPN podcast hosted by Jay Billis, Alfonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. These ESPN basketball personalities give you an all-access pass inside the world of college basketball, talking to the biggest names in the sport. That's Bald Men on Campus. Listen wherever you